Blog Talk Radio. Hi, welcome to Teach Me to Talk with Laura and Kate. I'm Laura Mize, pediatric speech language pathologist. And I'm Kate Hensler, developmental interventionist. Laura, what's our topic tonight? Well, it is show number 128, and we're doing two different topics tonight. We have two emails from moms that we're going to read, and they're pretty different, but I'm hoping that we can give them both equal time. And they're things that we've talked about before, but I'm hoping we can put a new twist on those things. Uh, Before we get started, though, I do want to announce the conference date. Since I do that at the beginning, I'll be in Charleston this week. Woohoo! Uh, on September 15th, and then Dallas, and Charleston sold out. So if you didn't get signed up for that, sorry, we've already got a full room. And I'm thrilled about that. Those are always the best days. Mm -hmm. And then Dallas is on October 19th, Shreveport is on October 21st, and then New Orleans is October 27th, and Lafayette, Louisiana is October 28th. And I know New Orleans is going to be as fun as it was last year because I've already got people registering, and the mailers haven't even gone out yet. So that is very exciting. I'm so excited to go back there. I need to just move to Louisiana. (laughs) You think that's a fit, huh? I think so. Johnny's saying, I need a po' boy. Yeah, we're Louisiana people. (laughs) Anyway, that's the conference schedule. And I wanted to update a few little things from Facebook that were on TeachMeToTalk.com's page this week as well. Um, I have some, first of all, I have some new articles that are due to go on the website, but I crashed the website this week trying to get those posted. So I'm going to wait a little bit before... uh, Crashing that again and make sure I understand what I was doing wrong that caused it to crash, but I did want to mention that. The other things that are on the Facebook page this week are um, an article about self-regulation. That might have been last week, actually. No, I think it was this week. Have you read? Did you take a look at that, Kate? It's um, it's from the NAEYC Journal, and it's just Maybe. about how important. Yes. Yeah. I don't ever know. Nacy. They call it Nacy. Yeah, you're one of those teacher people. You know about that. That's, that, right. <laughs> That's but right. But it's talking about how important self-regulation is as a predictor for academic success. And boy, do we see the kids in early intervention who have no clue about self-regulation. And again, that's not even a cog. It's something that's under a child that we see conscious control many, many times. Uh, but self-regulation is huge, and I think that's the second article I've posted about self-regulation in the past few weeks and just all the attention that's getting from a research perspective with how that's really a readiness skill for academic success, not only with language learning but with math. And I would think any other kind of academic issue, you've got to be able to calm yourself enough to listen and <laughs> take in what you're learning, whether it's listening to a teacher or exploring something new or just paying enough attention so that you understand what's going on around you. Enough um, self-regulation would be inhibition to take turns and not to flip out when an adult is in control versus doing your own thing. So some um, great points in that article and about how this really starts. You know, you don't just show up at kindergarten and 
and have that happen. It's something that needs to build through the toddler and preschool year. So I thought it was a great article, and I wanted to be sure to point um, our listeners' attention to that. I will have to read that because, Laura, like you said, so many of the kids, not all of the kids that we work with, but I'm going to go as far as to say the majority of the kids we work with, Mm -hmm. that's a problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I guess when you think about it in the most basic perspective, if they're not regulated, they're really probably pretty self-absorbed, meaning that they can only control or only in control is not the right word. They can only... Um, take in what's happening to themselves, their little bodies, what they are doing, what they are feeling, what they are, quote, unquote, thinking. They can't really process beyond that. If self-regulation is a big problem for you, for a toddler, they look pretty isolated and pretty out of control. And a lot of those kids will look like they're either Really, really happy or really, really mad. There's not a lot of in-between with some of those kids. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes, that? I do. <laughs> yes. Yeah. They're kind of the bouncing off the walls but happy or right. melting and falling apart because they're angry or upset. Yeah. And sometimes without a lot of indication to an adult with what's causing that that right. problem. You know, sometimes you'll sit in a session and you'll think, well, where in the world did that come from? And as I've gotten older and worked more and seen more kids and have more real-life experience and that floor time experience, you start to realize, oh, there were probably some cues that when I was 20, I probably missed when I was playing yeah. with kids versus, you know, 45. But at the same time, sometimes parents are really taken back, but they don't understand what's caused a meltdown or a tantrum or why a kid is so upset. And a lot of that is just their self-regulation. They have no frustration tolerance. We see that a lot. I think you were sharing with me this week a new little friend that you have that that's an issue for. Right. With that uh, frustration tolerance just falling apart at the least little thing in play. And so, again, that's really, really hard. But that article is a good one to look at and address start to address and think about those things with kids. Another great thing that's on the Facebook page is that a mom sent me kind of this series of emails one day. She was so cute. I thought, oh, she's doing her stream of consciousness like you and I talk about. Oh, we just talk about one thing, and that leads to another thing, and then we think about this, and then we think about that. And it was really, really cute. But what she started out saying that tell him, show him, and help him had been so successful with helping him learn how to understand words and follow commands. And before that, it was just, uh, I don't know if she used these words, but it sounded like she was saying it was just a shot in the dark. And she didn't really understand how much of a problem receptive language was for him until that, you know, that that was the core reason he wasn't talking. And so when they slowed down and started to really make sure that he first understood what they were talking about and asking him to do and using that tell him, show him, help him cueing guideline really, really helped her, so I wanted to point that out. There's a little blurb about that on the Facebook page as well. And Laura, I quote you and use that on on every child pretty much that I work with and every parent that I work with because I think that's one of your best things to date is that Tell them help us. I do too. I'm proud of that. Tell them show them help them. So it's exactly what parents need to know and what therapists need to know and what we need to remind ourselves and remind parents of. And it's easy to remember and people get it. So that was a great one. (laughs) 
Well, and I like it, too, because it really is based on tell them are your verbal cues, show them are your visual cues, and help them are those tactile cues. And really, those, that's the, the order that we need to be using those kinds of cues with, too. You don't need to start out when you ask a kid or you're assessing how he's understanding language, you know, going straight to, well, I'm going to make him do it versus, giving him some verbal cues, giving him some visual cues, and so it's skin away as therapists that we can keep ourselves on track with how consistent we're, consistently we're using our cues. And like you said, that parent-teaching part, everybody gets that. I've never used that with a family that the mom didn't talk about it later or say, man, I'm really using that and that works for me. So uh-huh. I do think it's really, really practical. So I like that a lot, so I wanted to point that out. And that... Um, those strategies are outlined on Teach Me to Listen and Obey 1 and 2. If you want to check out the website at teachmetotalk.com, you can get more information about those DVDs and any of those other things that are available there to help you in your practice as an early intervention therapist or as a parent of a child with communication issues. All right, and I think that about does it for the Facebook page updates this week. All right, so let's move on to our emails. First, let's do the one about phrases, the little boy who's having difficulty with phrases. This is from a mom in Sydney, Australia, and she says it's, you know, thanks for the website. Um, She says, I'm looking for some advice regarding my 25-month-old son. I've taken him to several doctors, including GPs and she's saying P-A-E-D-S. I guess she means pediatricians. Pediatricians, yeah. Yeah. That little spelling thing threw me there. (laughs) Um, And she said, as I was concerned about his language development, my main concern is with his expressive language. He can only say single words, over 100 single words, but he has no two-word combinations at all. She says she's tried to model simple phrases and follow the advice on the site as she talks in place with him all day, but he just won't put any two words together. He has excellent receptive language, and his hearing is not an issue. Some of the doctors have advised me to adopt the wait-and-see approach until he's two and a half, while others have advised me to go ahead with speech therapy as this constitutes an expressive language disorder. He also makes a lot of articulation errors. The one that worries me the most is that he can say the letter P in certain words but not in others. For example, he can say park and poo and up, but he can't say pizza or Peter. Instead, he call these he I guess that's how she's... Are you reading that with me? Are you no. re- looking at that? Okay, well, I was going to no. say, maybe you've got a different take on how she... Would no, say, I, how when she I read it, I said he get you. Okay. I mean, and I can just hear I him saying that, meant. can't you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've heard that before. He I think I have, too. Pizza's hard. <laughs> Pizza's hard. That Z is there. Oh, it's so yeah, hard. Yeah, that darn Z in the middle. Yeah, and then with Peter, you've got that R, and R's are going to be really, really hard for most toddlers. And she goes on to say, he also puts a K ending on words that don't end in K. He calls shop, shock, and bath, back. He also calls a few things by the one syllable, duh. I'm really worried, so I've scheduled an appointment with a private speech pathologist. I was wondering if you have any advice in your um, great experience with this sort of thing. Are these symptoms of apraxia or dyspraxia? a dyspraxia, or is this just a mild speech delay or late talker? He only started talking at 17 months, and he's come a long way since then, saying many single words. He knows all his body parts. He can say the names, and he knows colors and shapes and can count one to ten. We always get that thrown in there, don't we? Um, He's also an extremely active child and on the go a lot since he walked at 12 months. 
Will he be stuck at the single word phase indefinitely, or will he just make the next step on his own when he's ready? Looking forward to your thoughts on the matter. So we've talked about phrases and phrase productions and the prerequisite skills that a toddler has to have before he or she is truly ready to do phrases. But we probably haven't talked about them in the context of one specific child and ruled out what the issue could or couldn't be based on a really specific set of criteria. So that's why I liked this question so much. And I feel like this mom, too, has really done her homework in ruling out other issues with what it could and couldn't be. So I thought this is a great question for us to tackle, and I'm glad we're going to get to talk about this tonight. Right. She's obviously also spent a lot of time working with him because she sounds like a speech-language pathologist when she talks about how he says things and what he says. And, you know, it sounds like she got a little yeah. concerned at 17 months and has spent the last year trying to get him caught right. up. And, it, you know, he's not at age level, but he's made a lot of progress in six months. A lot of progress. And so I do think she's really wise, too, to point out that he didn't really start even doing words until he was 17 months. And so that's a little later than we normally see. Usually those first words start to emerge around that 12-month level, and she seems like she's such an accurate reporter of information that had he started at 12 months, she would have put that versus he only started <laughs> talking at 17 months. So uh -huh. he was a little late from the get-go. So that, to me, always says there's something thing not quite in place as far as when we look at typical development or typical developmental patterns versus not. So anytime we have a kid that's a little later to start talking, you can almost guarantee that there will be problems from a speech sound perspective, meaning that there may be some atypical sound patterns that a child uses or, again, that things just aren't going to quite maybe be in the right order. And, again, that's really, that's not official. I mean, because, of course, we all know there are differences between delays and disorders. And you can have a child that's just delayed when things pretty much come in in the right order, but they're just later than we would expect. But when a kid doesn't really start to say much of anything, until they get right at that 17 or 18 month or later mark, I almost always think it's more of a disorder than a delay. But again, I know people will cringe that I've said that, but that's just my opinion on that. It I does ever seem like um, that's, I would agree with you, Laura, just my unofficial experience right. of, yep, what do yeah. I see in the trenches? I will right. say that's particularly true in environments where, you know, they're very language-rich environments, and mom has right. lots of time talking to that child and reading to that child and playing with that child, and yet still they're 17 or 18 months before they get a first word out. In a less language-rich environment, sometimes I see those kids, they're right. more, more likely to be typical than those kids right. who come from those great environments, but still the talking isn't coming. Yeah, and I think that, too, because he... He walked on time, and it seems like these other developmental milestones he's meeting on time except for speech. Again, that's not necessarily, you know, a big red flag with, you know, we would worry more about children who have those global delays, but at the same time you think, hmm, this probably isn't just kind of a garden variety little late talker thing. And, again, I don't have much to base that on except for, you know, 
almost 20 years experience doing this kind of thing on the floor. Uh, But that just always kind of makes me wonder, especially when we have great receptive language going on. Um, And again, that's mom's report. He hasn't been officially tested yet. You know, we don't really know truly what that is, but I I would say this mom sounds so on top of it to me that she would certainly know at 25 months if he were not understanding language uh, well, and she certainly, I think, would have reported that. Okay, right. so that, again, just kind of I'm talking in circles here, but just that's just my opinion that we do sort of, I mean, it's a surprise to me when a child is a late talker and his articulation is good. I mean, isn't that a surprise to you? Absolutely. <laughs> a lot of times because you so I pretty much expect it not to be, yeah. Yeah. Occasionally and I truly, get surprised, but not much. I know, and I, and I think the other thing for a kid to be in early intervention, if if the few words that they have tried, if they're even if they're not saying a lot of words, but all the sounds are in the right places, moms and dads are less likely to worry and seek intervention. Where you know we don't see them unless a parent has agreed, either initiated that referral on their own or agreed with a, a person who's like a pediatrician or some other healthcare person who's or you know grandma's recommended. Boy, you need to get him checked out because he's not sounding too great to me, or he should be talking more. So there are probably a whole group of kids that we that would be more in that delay pattern that we probably don't see because their parents intrinsically just kind of feel like, okay, this is going to move along. This doesn't seem like it's going to be that big of a deal to me. And I think there are probably, again, right. a fair number of kids like that, and we don't have that experience since we right. only see kids who are in therapy. <laughs> <laughs> Good right. point. Yeah, and so I, the first thing I told her is I'm glad she's getting an evaluation because without being able to look at him, there's really no way that we can say this is why he doesn't have phrases or this is why this isn't moving along. So I was happy that she was going to go ahead and pursue that, even though some people had said wait and some had said not wait. I generally recommend to almost everybody with a kid who's 24 months and beyond if they don't meet those very minimal expectations of 50 single words and combining those words into phrases that they go ahead. And it sounds like she's had that advice, too, whereas someone has told her that that constitutes an expressive language disorder if he's not doing phrases yet. The other interesting thing is he really has met the criteria for when typically developing kids start to combine words into phrases, and we've talked about this a lot. Usually that happens when the expressive vocabulary is right at about 50 words, and but that sometimes parents get confused on this, and therapists can get a little bit tricked by this too. If you have a kid that's a great imitator, you can really overestimate his vocabulary size because if he's really just in that imitation stage and is repeating a lot of what he's heard and doesn't do a ton spontaneously, You know, I can have a kid who's really pretty verbal in therapy, but if I really separate what he's imitated or what's been cued versus what's completely spontaneous, sometimes those number differences are pretty darn big. And so until you can get a kid to that 50-word spontaneous level, and that doesn't mean 50 different words over six weeks. That means 50 different words pretty consistently. That's when you start to hear those novel and spontaneous and completely um, on his own attempts to combine words into phrases. And I would say that that 50-word mark 
generally holds pretty true, again, just from personal experience as I'm working with kids. When I start to think, boy, she knows a, she's saying a lot on her own in that next week or two is when we start to really hear those phrase patterns. Has that been your experience too? Very much so, unless, <laughs> unless, <laughs> unless. well, unless there's maybe a little something more going on than, you know, sometimes with kids with motor planning issues, you get them to that, you can get them even beyond that, 7,500 mm-hmm. words, and they're right kind of where this guy is. Got your 7,500 words. And, and it's still sit. not coming in. Mm-hmm. So right. the first thing that I told this mom to rule out is that he's that she really look at his vocabulary size because again, not to be fooled by kids who are great imitators, and make sure that that vocabulary size is really truly at that fifty word or beyond level. She emailed me back and said yes, oh. he he does, sure. and I didn't send that to you. Sorry. She That's said okay. yes, he does have more than fifty different words that she feels like he uses consistently. So we've ruled out that number one reason that kids aren't or can't do phrases yet is that they don't have a big enough vocabulary. So if you're a therapist and you're thinking about kids on your caseload that you've started really thinking, oh, I need to be working on phrases, make sure that you rule out that that core vocabulary is big enough. If it's not, then that's where your focus needs to be therapeutically. And this would apply to parents at home, too. If your child isn't using that many words, guess what? You need to teach more words. And usually, if you'll focus on teaching words that can be combined with a noun that they already have, you'll start to really hear those combinations more quickly than if you were just willy-nilly about and just picking you know, words randomly out. So you pick words that would go together and words that can be easily com- easily combined. You know, more is a word that uh, speech pathologists love and developmental therapists as well uh, in that we can pair that with any noun or verb or even prepositions, although it may not sound grammatically correct to say more up or more down, but, boy, we sure know what they mean when they say that. So more would be a great word to introduce with that. Please is kind of a go-to Word again. It's a requesting word. That's one that I a pattern that I certainly use all the time, and I know you do too, Kate, because it's easy to say, especially if a kid's just doing P's. That's fine for an approximation for please at this level. Um, You also want to be sure that you're introducing more than nouns, that you're working on action words, you know, and we have said this over and over. You can't really make a great phrase or lots of different patterns with two nouns. You know, of course, you can do, you know, mommy's car, daddy's shoe, but beyond that, there's beyond that possessor possession, (laughs) there's not a lot you can do with those two nouns. So you need to give other parts of speech so that the child would have more options and more core vocabulary to build that from. So that would be the number one thing that you would look at if you're a parent or a therapist with helping a kid move to phrases. Um, and I wonder, we don't boy, have a clue on this little guy what yeah. the nature of his words are, do we? Are they? I mean, I guess they're mostly nouns just because that seems to be what most kids kind of do as far as first words. Yeah. You know, they're labeling, labeling. Mommy says, what's yeah. this? And he says, shoo. And then what's this? Yeah. Dog, you know, and that's fine, yeah. but uh, they don't necessarily pick up those other forms of words as easily. And I don't think parents yeah. necessarily know to push them, you know, to model and encourage they don't. those words. Yeah, no. because it's 
it's easier to label a noun. Mm-hmm. It's easier to label mm-hmm. a person, place, or thing. And so I, I spend a lot of time talking to parents about that. I have a little guy right now who is just precious, who is a micro preemie, who's starting to do some phrases. And I, this past week and over the last several weeks, or actually a couple months, we've talked a lot about directing our focused teaching, meaning that when we are playing with him, we are going to consciously focus on the action words. So instead of if we're playing with the food, you know, we're going to do eat, cook, stir, um, cut, you know, we'll look at all the different targets with action words that we could with every single play routine that we do. If we're playing with balls, we're going to do throw and kick, and we'll do our um, our location words too, up and down and in and off and out, and really focus on doing that. And that's been harder for his mom, who is highly educated. You know, she has more degrees than we do. <laughs> and that's been hard, though, because you, you really do focus on teaching nouns and names for things. And so sometimes, even with our families, even when we're saying, let's be sure we're teaching them some verbs and some action words, you may need to use more of a focused approach and give them a, a list, maybe, or come up with, you know, be really purposeful when you're introducing a new toy or you're getting ready for the next therapy activity. Say to mom, hey, help me think of action words that we can target with this. Help me think of what other kinds of words besides names of things that we can work on with this activity. And that gets her wheels turning, and then she'll be able to generalize that and think during the week when you're not there about those kinds of things so that she can remember that she's building that core vocabulary with words beyond nouns. And I think that's that's hard unless you're obsessed with language like we are, don't you? Yes. I don't think it's necessarily natural. I think typically developing language kids pick those up. They're saying ball, and before you know it, they're saying, go ball, my ball, ball up. You know, they just, yeah. it's just you know, they, they absorb in. it yeah. naturally, and nobody tells mom, now you need to teach him up and go and down and blah, 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 because the kids just get it. And, you know, most right. parents don't know that, and why would they? You, normally you don't really have to know to teach it, you know. so. Right. Exactly. It's something we do in I mean I pretty much I guess well I introduce more on day 1 so Mhm you know minute which, 1 yeah Mhm <laughs> so yeah um, and eat very very fast that's another big yeah. word so we pretty much from the get go push other words knowing uh they get those nouns the easiest so we've got to push these other things very early and make sure that mom knows to do it as well yeah, and a lot of times the teaching materials that even, you know, every parent knows I'm going to read to my kid, but mo- even those really early, those beautiful books with photographs that I love to use because they're pictures versus cartoons or line drawings or things, and they're easier for kids to identify with and assign meaning to. But at the same time, unless you are really pointing out the action there, even, again, well-educated parents can miss. You know, they'll see the baby in the crib, you know, and maybe the baby has a blanket, and they're labeling baby bed and blanket, but they're not saying sleep, baby's going night-night, and not really focusing on that action part of it, too. Or if the baby's sitting in the high chair and there's a cup there, again, mom is probably saying 
juice or baby without saying drink or eat or those um, action words that would be associated with meals. So think about that and think about teaching your parents to do that, even even with the activities that they would normally use, like preferred books and you know favorite little play routines. Help them move to that next level to target those different kinds of words. And, Laura, I know this has come up recently, but I'll just spit it out so anybody listening um, who's not as familiar as I am with your website, you do have a good word list. I think mm-hmm. you got it from Rosetti, but it's on your website. is in the expressive portion. Just for a mom who's either- thinking, well, now what, what were those action words <laughs> you were talking yeah. about? Um, you have this, that list, and I think that's a nice basic list of what words did you push in addition to those early noun words yeah and those moms that like that visual reminder um, I copy that list or or you could print out that list it's in the expressive section but it's also in the sign language section under first 100 words and it's actually I think a little easier to find in that category Um, but you could just print that out and keep several copies with you and when that's the focus of your therapy session if you're a therapist listening and give that to a mom on the other hand you know this week that lady that I was talking about that wrote me that stream of consciousness series of emails she was really frustrated because she feels like her speech therapist has the play part down with her kid which she loves but she said there's no rhyme or reason it seems like to her with what they're doing in sessions and she's a little frustrated because Although she loves her being fun, she doesn't feel like there's any kind of plan or structure or goal. And so she was asking me how to help her with that and, you know, how how she might take that. And I said, well, you know, I don't know her, so who knows? She could be highly offended or she could really appreciate the guidance. Um, and so I was talking to her about copying some things, and she has um, the therapy manual, and I was telling her, using those lists and you could copy that or copy some pages with those goals and say hey listen i think this fits with what we're doing what do you think and it could be that 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 therapist has a plan mom just doesn't realize what the goals might be and so it's important to us for us as professionals to really spell that out for a lot of parents (laughs) maybe that she maybe has a plan because i know I mean, when you were first introduced the scenario, I was thinking, I bet there have been some moms who watched me with their kid because I'm not always so great about. I think I'm better now than I used to be, but I'm still, still, um, you know, that's something I still struggle with. So, is always explaining things to mom and making sure right. that she understands there really is some. I mean, even though it's a free form session, generally. Um, if you tracked what I what I modeled for the child, if you tracked what I tried sure. to design, if you there is some cohesion, loosely speaking. But I'm not yeah. always great, and maybe that therapist has a plan and has some you know some some loose structure sessions and doesn't say it. So because I you know, know I've certainly been guilty of that. And me too. I mean, really early in my career, I remember so almost every parent that I worked with said, I wish I got paid as much as you do to just play. Uh-huh. And on one hand, that's a compliment because I want to say, well, let me tell you, you could have a lot of people in here that would not have gotten this fun part down as well as I have. Yeah. You know, and, you, and you want to have a play-based approach, but you have to take that extra step so that you get your professional credentials in there and all that knowledge that you have 
floating around up there so that a mom knows that you've got a plan and there is a method to your madness with what you're doing with her kid. It could be that, again, the therapist is so skilled at play that mom doesn't even realize that there is kind of a pattern there. It could be. I doubt it, but it could be. <laughs> Just based on the things that this mom, you know, wrote me through this series of right. three or four emails and one day that I happened right. to be home and uh, tied to the computer that day so I could answer all those things in a row. Uh, but we've got to do that as professionals so moms and dads aren't left saying, well, she plays with him and she's fun and he likes her, but I'm not quite sure what they're doing so that right. she Yeah, I mean, I agree. Whether she you. has it or not, yeah. she needs to know how to share it. Sure. With mom, and also if she's not verbalizing that, how is she then able to turn around and make suggestions for mom to work on? Right. You know what I mean? If it just looks like play, and normally right. I kind of end a session with, well, I was trying mm-hmm. to get this, and I was working on that, and you know, why don't you try mm-hmm. this? And so if she's not kind of and that's a great way to do session, it. Yeah. Yeah, and that recap, and I think that's really important. And again, that might be where mom realizes, oh, wow, that didn't, that wasn't just about having a good time and keeping him engaged. There was actually some structure there that I didn't realize until she pointed it out. So that's mm-hmm. that's um, yeah, that bears repeating over and over, especially for a therapist too. That that's not your natural kind of personality to explain to a mom what you're doing. And I think a lot of us have had to work to make that more automatic because it's really easy just to do your session and do your thing and then say, okay, see you next week, good luck, right? without talking about the homework and what they can do and making it very um, – and sometimes I think therapists get a little bit embarrassed because they think, well, it should be obvious to mom what we were working on. I don't have to really justify that. Uh, yeah, you do. <laughs> you and know, again, Laura, I think that, a lot for a long time that was what kind of plagued me was, well – that that would be kind of insulting if I sat here and said I did this and I that's did what this I mean. and you should do this. Yeah, I kind of felt that way until yeah. some of my best educated moms, I began to realize, mm, didn't, as you said, definitely more highly educated than I am, didn't really understand. And I think if you didn't understand, if it wasn't right. obvious to you, why would I assume it would be obvious to anybody? Because, you know. Right. So that was when I started to try and get better at that. <laughs> when I realized, yeah, because you, even my really smart, educated mommies are not really just watching it and see and getting it. Right. And so you have to so. be really, really specific about it and not feel like that you're insulting anybody. Parents will generally tell you if they're insulted. Usually, or if they are glazed over, if you are explaining something and they do the, uh-huh, okay, that means they haven't understood what you're talking about and they're too embarrassed to tell you <laughs> that you didn't boil it down enough for them. And uh-huh. so you have to, I mean, parents will pretty much say, oh, yeah, I got it. Give me something more than that when they're beyond it. But otherwise, I think it is a better approach just to assume that they need that extra explanation and so that you're really, and I, I love what you said about I explain things as I do it, but I always give the recap at the end. Okay, today we worked on this, and this is what I want you to do. And when you just make that habit and a part of your normal routine that you're going to say no matter what has happened in the session or it's just it just pops out of your mouth before you even realize what you're doing when it's so ingrained in you, that's when parent education, again, really becomes not just something you do in the last, when you're 
you know, worried that, oh, my gosh, I haven't done this, and his plan is coming up, and his report is coming up, and I really haven't paid enough attention to this whole parent education piece. When you make it, a, a, you know, your last thing that you're doing, you really it should be every part of every session and ongoing through the session, but if you need a starting place, that recap of what you did during the day, during the session, and what you want them to do is a nice, nice way to make yourself address that with every single parent, every single kid, every single session. So I think that's good advice. Yep, and sometimes it's like I said, my statement is, I tried. (laughs) It might not have been successful, (laughs) but I tried to do this. So you try through the week, and maybe it'll be easier next week. But, yeah, I mean, that that's generally my approach. Yeah, and I think that's I think that's good. All right, boy, we are not going to get to that second email because we're not even halfway through this, this one. Surprise, surprise. Okay. Well, there you go. Uh, I know. Okay, we've already talked about the, vocab- the vocabulary, that children need that 100 words. The other reason well, 50 this words. little girl. 50 words, I'm sorry. He has 100 words. Sorry about that. The other reason that this little guy may not be using phrase combinations yet is he may not be able to sequence syllables well enough to produce a two-word phrase. And usually you can tell if this is the reason with a kid who has lots of single words that are just one syllable. So if if he says ma for mama or da for dada or bye instead of bye-bye, if cookie is cool or if um, kitty cat is just cat, if he doesn't have any uh, words that are two parts or if he has really limited words that are two parts, she says when she wrote me back that his only two, that he mostly uses one-syllable words. She said a few of the two-syllable words he uses are nana, mama, dada, and paper. And she goes on to say he cannot say mummy or daddy, although he he does call us mama or dada. And that's important because mama and dada would be really simple two-syllable words because they're the same consonant-vowel, consonant-vowel pattern repeated. Speech pathologists refer to that as reduplicative syllables. So, again, it's one of the first patterns that you see with um, two-syllable words. But she said he does, even out of those hundred words that he knows, many of those are just one syllable. So that would tell us, like you were alluding to before, Kate, that motor planning is probably some of his issue. He can't really um, get two syllables together. That's uh, really hard for him just based on his vocabulary thing. Um, list and what mom is the information she's given us and so he's not really going to be able to say bye daddy or you know more milk please if he can't get two syllables together even within a single word so that's really really important information and she's already asked if he could be apraxic or dyspraxic, and if I were working with this kid and a mom was giving me that information, if I would not worked with him very long, that's certainly something that I would be sitting there thinking, this is a possibility, (laughs) because we don't see evidence that he has lots of um, coordinated motor planning just looking at his word list or hearing him talk. And that's what you were talking about before, Kate, right? Absolutely. Although I will say as a disclaimer, um, 
we don't typically get kids at 25 months who have 100 words and think they're dyspraxic or apraxic because normally, or I'm going to say I don't, normally the kids I get are about that age and have zero words or one word or two words. I think the difference here is that mom has been working for however 10 or 11 months and has had a lot of success. So Mm -hmm. it's not that that his, his core issue is necessarily something different. It's that she's addressed it in a very effective manner, and he's made a heck of a lot of progress. But his pattern is still very typical for kids with motor planning issues. You get them to right. that, you know, that magic number, and by gum, it's still that magic. They may even add new words as long as they're simple, you know, and we're really right. good at yeah. figuring those out, aren't we? We teach them, teach them, teach them, but then, boom, there you're kind of stuck. So, yeah, yeah. be my guess. She does? Him. Yeah, and one thing that she does say that he does try to count one to ten, but he doesn't pronounce all the numbers clearly. And a lot of times, kids will do the ah, ooh, uh, you know, and there you can sort of tell that it's kind of close to one, two, three, four, even if they're missing the consonants or even if some of their vowels are off. The prosody or the rhythm, the melodic intonation of their speech lets you know that they're trying to count, especially if they're doing it with, like, going down the stairs or, you know, trying to point, trying to do that early one-to-one correspondence. So you might, you know, generously interpret (laughs) that he's trying to count there. And usually if kids can do that kind of counting like that and if they're doing it pretty fast, they can start to do some phrase combinations. Mom's just got to, or his therapist, they're just going to have to work on it um, so that they're giving him some really early, easy patterns to do. Now, she said that she had done that, but sometimes thinking about it, like a therapist would think about it, and even a mom who's done such a great job until now, it still may be harder for him to do than she could you know, it might be a little easier with somebody who's specifically worked on that. Uh, you know, his therapist might be able to come in and get some phrase productions when she's not tried before. So counting, again, is a good thing in that he he probably has the ability to sequence unless his numbers are really spread apart, like one, two, three, <laughs> where those really big pauses and you think, oh, gosh, that's, He's not sequencing, you know, because he's got that long, long, long pause in between there. Does that make sense? Certainly does to me. <laughs> Let me say that. So often the kids, the kids we, you know, know have motor planning issues. When you do get them to the two-word phrase, that's kind of the way they come out. Yeah. You know. Right. More peace. You know, there's this yeah. long, and sometimes I'm guilty of not even waiting long enough for the second word. Me too. And, yeah, because you're just, you know, you think it's going to be more please, and, you know, I'm kind of cutting them off, and they're popping out please, and I think, oh, she tried to say more please, but I didn't wait long enough. I mean, it's not right. a natural pattern, and you don't yeah. necessarily, you really have to train yourself to wait for it yeah. because you can't. Yeah. they can't get it out fast enough to make it sound, but they really are kind of trying to do two-word phrases. They're trying. They're just, there's yeah. a long yeah. pregnant pause in between their two words. Right. But they're trying, yeah. They're trying, and it's coming. It's just sluggish. You know, just right. that whole coordination piece is not there. She's not efficiently able to coordinate it. 
that way yet. So you do kind of know with those kids that you have to wait, wait, wait. You have to also model more slowly. And, again, like if you have personalities like Kate and me, make yourself shut up and purposefully focus on waiting and giving them enough time to get that second word in there. But even when it comes like that, you know that either A, their motor planning isn't, you know, is is that's an issue that they're they're a slower motor planner, or sometimes it's a cognitive thing, or of you know, or even from a phonological perspective. Let's talk about the cognitive thing first. These are the kids that look like they're in slower motion. Now, this probably doesn't apply to this little boy because she described him as an extremely active child and on the go. But sometimes even our little movers and shakers are slower processors or slower cognitively and that's I mean boy doesn't this happen Kate when you ask a kid to do something or say something and he doesn't do it then but then you've already moved on and 30 Mm -hmm. seconds later he pops that word out or does what you've asked him to do I mean it took him that long to plan and get you know again and get that word popped out and so again how we're talking about it and how you've just said we haven't waited long enough sometimes it's even even longer than you would purposefully wait. And that's when I start to think, gosh, he's a slower processor, you know, or mm-hmm. slower. And, and, again, it could be from a processing perspective. He hasn't understood it, and he's had to really think about it. And then, you know, that input-output kind of mode, it just took him a long time to understand it or process it, and then even longer to get it back out. So you have to kind of look at of what's going on there, and I have a little boy like that on my caseload too. And, boy, is that hard for me because it is hard for me to slow down and wait. Yeah. But that's what that's what you have to do. And even, you know, and, and not talk a million miles an hour so that in really, you know, we talk about all the time how hard it is to really just model single words and slow it way down. And, boy, do I have to really do it for that little guy. And I've mentioned that slower processing to his mom before. She doesn't really buy that yet. But in time, I think she will. <laughs> um but that's certainly something that can that can be in play here, although it may not apply to this little guy. I mean, we don't know. We haven't seen him. So it could just be that he's having a difficult time kind of um, popping it back out. But, I mean, she hasn't even – she didn't even give an example like that. We're just, we're just talking in generalities here. All right. I feel like I'm all off kilter. When a kid doesn't sequence and doesn't have lots of words like cracker, cookie, mommy, daddy, where he's really using more advanced syllable structures and changing the vowel from syllable to syllable, that's where you need to focus with him. If he has enough words like bye-bye and mama and nana for banana, if he has a lot of words like that, if he doesn't have those kinds of really simple two-syllable patterns, start with those really simple ones first and then move on to highly uh, used words or recognizable words that he would have to use in um, daily routines. But you'll have a lot of kids do the ka-ka for cracker or ku-ku for cookie. And, again, if they've just been a one-syllable kid, that's still progress. You need to shape it. You need to move toward that two-syllable production where the vowels are different and the syllable shapes are different. But even that's progress when you're moving them um, toward that. So that's what I recommended to mom that that she work on with that, with getting um, looking at his words where he should have 
two syllables and seeing if she can't, even if it's not the correct second syllable, at least get that second syllable in there. Because even though he had all those words, when you really asked her to stop and and review and um, kind of evaluate what he had, it became obvious that mm, he has a lot of words, but he's still pretty behind on what he can do expressively just based on the number of words he has because they're all kind of the same simple nature. And I think, again, a lot of parents miss that too. And I could certainly see why because unless you're a speech therapist, it's not real obvious, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. it's not. Mm-mm. Yeah. No. Yeah. So that would be so- something that she would want to look at. It's looking at, and again, she's getting it. She's getting him evaluated. So I'm sure his speech pathologist is going to help her with this. But she needs to look at how to um, make any word that should be two syllables, two syllables, even if it's an incorrect or sound substitution, just to get that next syllable in there. Um, the other thing that we talked about, that I talked about with her on here, and I asked, she said his receptive language is good, and so I asked what he did in pretend play, and if he sequenced two activities together. Because remember a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about stages of play, and we were saying that cognitively when kids begin to combine two ideas together, it's when they start to really use two-word phrases. And so I asked her how his pretend play looked, and she said, well, he's got a good imagination because he picks up a banana and pretends it's a phone. Really, that's a pretty early thing that kids can do. And so that's not really what we're talking about. When we're talking about sequencing two different ideas in play, it would be like we talked about um, on the show with the baby dolls is that you would feed the baby and then put the baby to sleep or or even if you're talking about feeding the baby is that you would pretend to stir the food like you're cooking it and then feed it to the baby or that you would um, you know wash it when you're getting ready to give a baby a bath you're going to take the baby's pajamas off or take the clothes off put it put the baby in in the little bathtub or however you're pretending to do that and then wipe the baby down with a wipe it would be that even if it's a simple same kind of ideal play in giving the baby a bath you're still combining and sequencing lots of different steps there and so that would be interesting to me to see if he's really doing lots of that. We don't know, you know, based on her saying that he understands a lot of words and that his receptive language is good, I would think that his pretend play would be good too, but that's something that I would want to look at if I were seeing them and really see how he played because if kids aren't doing that, then cognitively they're not ready to use phrases yet and again that's probably not the case with this little guy but it's certainly something to think about with your um, little guys on your caseloads. I've had lots of little friends with Down syndrome who've learned a whole lot of words but when I would really look at their play it was still really kind of very simple one thing at a time not lots of sequences together and then you think well gosh cognitively that He's not putting that together yet. Or, again, those slower processing kids, if they can only think about and do one thing, then they're really not ready from a cognitive perspective to use phrases either. And it may not apply to this one, Doc. I was also thinking of some kids on the spectrum, maybe the higher functioning, sometimes spectrum kids, they get very good at label, 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 label. They can watch this all day long. 
But then again, when you look at their play or you really look at any receptive skills beyond what's this, what's this, what's this, you realize, uh-oh, we've got a lot of ground to cover here because there's a big right. old gap. You know, it's just, right. and we're not saying that about this child, but even though mom feels like he knows a whole lot and his receptive skills are good and we hope she's right and she may well be, we would certainly be double-checking that if we were working mm-hmm. with him because... Yeah. It can look like a kid knows a whole lot, and, and certainly there are therapists who are tricked by that. You know, yeah. They assume, well, he, he can label all these puzzle pieces, he can label all these animals, Right. but when you go move beyond simple rote, you know, Dang. cram the, the, the name, label, 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 you lose them easily. And so yeah. anyway, I'm just saying those, that's another population that we see that happen with. You know, not maybe lower functioning spectrum kids, but higher functioning spectrum kids can be really deceptive that way. Really deceptive. And we talked about last week that that you know sometimes with those kinds of kids they score so much higher expressively on a language test than their receptive skills would indicate. And again, that's because some of those kids really, I mean, they're pretty pretty good test takers because they like to label. And they that and they're usually pretty visual and so when we're flipping that picture manual to test those kids, boy do they look like they know a lot, but then they can't do something really simple like go get your shoes and stand by the door. Or get that dog and put it in my bag. We're getting ready to go and they fall apart with those really simple two-step commands that you think, okay, he knows dog and he knows bag, but why can't he do that together? And so you do have to really tease that apart. And that's why she needs a therapist. We can't really help her beyond these initial ideas. Well, it could be this or it could be that without really looking at what he can do and not do. And, again, sometimes... To a mom, things look really different, and you think the mom is talking about exactly what you're talking about until you ask her, and then they give you an answer, and you think, "Uh uh-oh, we missed something here. We're not interpreting that information the same way. Like her using the Nana as a phone, because like you said, that's a really early thing. And honestly, when I see a child his age who does that, I'm kind of like, mm-hmm. You know, yeah, that's what I thought what when I when I read it. I thought, okay, yeah. and I think your point is so good about he may just be a great labeler, but receptively not be doing as much as she's given him credit for. I mean, and she's saying he's on the go, so maybe she's thinking that he's choosing not to follow more directions or choosing, you know, and, and we don't know. I mean. We have no idea. And she said it's receptive We could yeah. be all wet, but we're just yeah. going with Those what little she did respond, so she gave you a little more information. But, you yeah. know, it is, if we saw him, we might say, boy, were we off on him. So Right. And, and again, sometimes what looks like pretend play to a mom, which, again, might be really early pretend play. And we're thinking, oh, my goodness, it's 25 months. And 25 months does not sound old to the majority of people, but for those of us who work with birth to three, boy, you're getting on up there once you've had your second birthday. We're thinking, yeah. come on, come on. <laughs> you got to have more than this. Clock's so, ticking. we got to make some progress here. <laughs> yeah. And so the, the pretend plate, our expectation might be a lot different than, you know, what, Mom would think. Well, and again, and you know, Laura, just like I yeah. said, moms might uh, don't necessarily know to, to t- right. quote unquote teach other f- classes of words beyond nouns. Right. 
I think a lot of parents, um, they get the, we're, we're going to look at the book, we're going to do the puzzle, we're going to label the animals, we're going right. to all these kind of normal teacher type things that you might yeah. quote unquote teach your baby, but they don't get the, how do you play on the floor with the Fisher Price farm set? And how do you right. play baby dolls? And I, mean, I think it's something, you right. know, when you're that age and you kind of lose the knowledge or at least the comfort of doing it. And a lot of parents yeah. just really don't know what that looks like or how to even go there initially. So she well, may not and be a lot doing of much of it. Well, and with play, too, again, sometimes moms, their idea of playing with their kid is, they sit on the floor while the kid does all the stuff. And, right. and a lot of therapists think that too, don't they? <laughs> they say, yeah, we're using play. And I think, well, what part of this we have you missed? Because yeah, you're just where, where your Where's your part? <laughs> you're just labeling. You're just doing that mindless narration. Ball, throw ball, go ball. And I think you haven't touched that darn ball one time. You're not playing. You're watching. And so you're exactly right. Mom may never have thought about it beyond whatever. And if he's an active little boy, he really might look like he's playing if he runs over and pushes the car and throws it down and then he runs to get something else and then he runs to do something else without, and there might not be even a whole lot of play going on there because he's busy and moving right along. And so, again, she might have missed some of that. But that's what an evaluation will hopefully help her tease out. So I wanted to bring that up um, so that she could take a look at that. Another thing that we do therapy-wise and strategy-wise when we have a kid like this that we think really has enough words and they're not really sequencing is using those holistic phrases. And you really want to use that with heightened affect, like, I got it, I did it, where'd it go? So that you get that sequencing and it's easier for a lot of those kids to do when it's in context and the focus isn't on talking, when it's just on, you know, like that, woohoo, we're having a good time, I did it, they can pop that out more easily than uh, another kind of pattern. So that might be something for her to try, too, are those holistic phrases. And a lot of our processing kids that, again, have more difficulty <laughs> with learning um, lots and lots of words are following lots of directions. Those are the kids that do best with those holistic phrases, aren't they? And, again, I don't yeah. have a study to back that up. That's just <laughs> observation with those are the kids that really hang on to those phrases, and they almost overuse those phrases. But for a lot of those kids, I'm really glad that we got them there in the first place because they were having a hard time getting over that hump to use phrases to begin with. So, holistic phrases and if you're not sure what those are there's an article about that on the website at teachmetotalk.com it's um and it's making the leap from words to phrases and you can see a list there but i use holistic phrases a lot when i think boy is he or she having a hard time with those more traditional patterns and i know you do that you talk about that all the time oh yes and they're fun Yes, they are yeah. fun, and kids, if they have any shot at all, that's what they're going to get because they like them. Yeah, you and know, you're pumping just... your fist in the air right? when you're saying, I did it! You know, and again, you're doing it with that higher affect so that you're really excited and it's more about the heat of the moment, and they, again, forget about how hard it's been for them to get words together into a phrase. So try. I would recommend that she try some of those, too. Um, and those were the big 
those are the reasons why kids don't move on to phrases. Either they're truly not using, they don't have a, a large enough core vocabulary, they can't sequence syllables or sounds well enough to get enough different syllables together to make a phrase, or that cognitively they're not there yet. They're not really combining ideas yet in play. And so when you start to really tease apart why a kid's not doing that, sometimes it might be a little of all of those. Right. Well, guess what? You have a therapy plan then because you can work on sequencing actions in play. You can work on getting uh, more syllables together, even with looking at his words that he doesn't have, help him or that he already has, help him kind of fix those words or purposefully introduce words that have two syllables. Or if you're still looking at that vocabulary list saying, we don't have a good 50 words yet, we'll get, you know, after you do all that and walk through this process, that's your therapy plan. You've you've got your goals right there. So so I think it's valuable information to pass along, and certainly if the therapist hasn't thought about it in that way before, hopefully it will um, give them some new treatment ideas and new goals. Well, when she gets her therapist, that therapist is going to think, whoa, you have done this work. <laughs> Gonna keep her honest because she's gonna know she has to come prepared to those sessions because this mom knows what she's doing her research, which is great. I mean, it does keep it, us on our toes when does. we get moms who've done their homework and know their children very well, and you know have some idea about what could be going on and what they've done and what they want to see. And but um, yeah. it's great because it, they're also the moms that you make a little homework suggestion. And they have it written down for you as a you know review for you exactly. the next week when you come back. <laughs> like I love it when it. I get moms now you know who know about the website or who've gotten the DVDs or something, and I go in and they meet me before I can get in the door. They're saying I want to talk to you about this that I read that you wrote, and I always yes. think, oh boy, here we go, because that's harder to pull off. It really is, but it's great. I mean, that's the kind of mom that I live for and want to work with. But if you are not really ready for that and aren't pretty confident in your clinical skills, that can be a little intimidating. So then, that's your professional goal is to get to the point that those kinds of moms don't. You know, don't cause you any problems. You can just sail right through it and, and do just as well. And those are the moms that are, again, they appreciate every little suggestion. And their kids, they're looking for any hint of progress. So so much fun to work with families like that. And I hope every therapist listening has had a, a share of families like that because, again, it, it's they're kind of uh, they're different to work with than the moms who don't give a rip, huh? And I guess we'll end on that very uh, <laughs> non-professional note. <laughs> yes. Okay, that's good. <laughs> I know. I probably shouldn't have said that. Oh, well, too late. It's already out of the bag now. Oh, you, nobody who who gives a rip is, or doesn't give a rip is listening, so we're probably okay. There you go. There you, there go. you okay. go. Okay. Okay, have a good Sunday evening. night. Thanks. Thanks. Bye. Bye.